Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead better where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. The Apostle Peter encouraged believers to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope they had. 1 Peter 3.15 Unfortunately, apologetics is often seen as the preserve of those with letters after their name, when the application of the Peter passage is to every believer. If you're a Christian in leadership in a non-believing culture, or a church leader seeking to equip your people, you need to know something about how to answer the questions people ask about the Christian faith. So I'm delighted to be joined this week by Tanya Walker. She is an apologist for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, uh, known as Arzim, and a senior tutor at the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, uh, OCA. So welcome, Tanya, to Leadership Farm. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lovely to lovely to have this chance to chat with you. I mean, your journey to working with Arzim, first of all, if you can give me the kind of edited brief version. <laughs> My journey starts quite a way back, but I'll give you the edited version, which is that I heard Ravi Zacharias, so he's the founder and the president of ours that I am, um, speak when I was around seven or eight years old. And even then, there was something of an impact that happened in my heart. Now, in adult kind of processing of that experience, I'd say it was the beginning of a sense of call. And uh, how I'd best describe it is that there was something of the beauty of the gospel that he presented, something of the beauty of Christ that um, made me want to stand up and clap in kiddie language. In other words, it kind of elicited worship. I was born in a Christian family. I have incredible godly parents, but it was the beginning of a sense of the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of God. Mm. And obviously it was a long journey from then to joining the team, but really key in that was Michael Ramsden, who's now the international director of RZIM, just played a really significant role in effectively calling out destiny from me. He kind of saw the gift of an evangelist in my life. He really spoke that over me, and um, he was a godly mentor in my life. And it, now in position of leadership myself, it's just wonderful to have that reminder of the impact that leaders can have when they see something of a call over a younger person and call it out of them and give them a sense this is possible with God. So that was my journey into ours that I am. Key individuals who spoke with passion and clarity and who believed in me. Well, where did you hear Ravi first? It was He was speaking in the UK. Uh, this is back in the 80s. And uh, I happened to go to a meeting where he was speaking and my parents took me and yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't understand everything he was saying, but there was something of the beauty of God that was communicated mm. that even now has captured my heart. Well, that's, that's terrific to hear. And it's a reminder that even for, for folk who are quite young, being in that kind of the presence in that sort of environment, uh, can you know, God can speak and uh, can influence, even though maybe not all of it will be under, fully understood. So that's great. Um, so explain to us the connection just briefly between... Um, RZIM and, and the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. I mentioned that in the introduction. Just to briefly the how sure, it all fits. Yeah. So the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics is basically a training centre that RZIM runs right in the heart of the city of Oxford. And students come to us from all over the world for a really intensive year of both kind of um, head knowledge about evangelism and then the practical experience of evangelism on the ground in all sorts of different types of missional contexts. 
and uh, yeah, it's just a privilege to be part of it and to see the fruit of what comes out of that year. Right, right. So we, we're talking today about uh, apologetics, apologetics in the local church, apologetics uh, for church, Christians in leadership in the, wherever they may be placed. Um, so uh, just a, a few comments about the topic because it it, it, is, it is a turn off for some. It has to be said, and uh, um, and also for some, there's a kind of caricature about what what the church is into. So some are into the kind of intervention of God supernaturally, you know, and they say if only we saw more signs and wonders, people would start to believe. Other churches are into caring ministries, and their their concern is is for um, to, to make sure make an impact in particularly with the poor and and, and underprivileged. And and they don't sort of think particularly either of those churches necessarily about a word centered nature of apologetics. They don't see the value of it. So, you know, how does how does apologetics ideally fit for, for local churches and within the context of other things they might be doing? Maybe I'll just start by saying apologetics is basically giving a reasoned defense for the gospel. And so by implication, it's drawing on the mind and the intellect to to think about God clearly. And I'm reminded of the verse that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul or will, and your strength. In other words, I guess what I'm saying is, in my mind and in the understanding of Scripture, this is not an either-or. This is simply using all of who we are in the pursuit of God, in the worship of God, and in the pursuit of the lost. Um, Of course, there are different personalities and they are best reached in different ways and also different personalities within the church prefer one part of the pie if you will to another but as the whole church we are trying to represent the whole image we're trying to represent something of the whole picture if you will of God's goodness and his grace it's not meant to be monochrome or kind of boxed into one facet it's meant to be multicolored multifaceted so I think apologetics is absolutely key as one part of a toolkit, if you like, that the church has in order to be able to reach the lost. Yeah. Now, I mean, church leaders can feel a little nervous about apologetics because some of the questions can get very involved and, and require almost, you know, specialist knowledge um, to understand quite a, you know, the depth of the, the maybe the philosophical or the scientific debate. Um, but but co- congregations are all we're all facing questions from uh, from non-believers uh, at different times. Those that those are thinking believe uh, non-believers anyway. So what would be the kind of questions that you'd expect a church leader really to be able to grapple with, maybe without having to read too many books? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I w- <laughs> wonder if I can come at it from a number of angles. Because I guess my gut reaction to that is. We're all in this real world, right? And mm. in the real world, if you want to be fruitful at something or good at something, it inevitably requires an investment of time and energy. And I think there's this sense in us that when it comes to Christian things or, for example, evangelism, you know, we'd rather it didn't take too much effort, but simply, I guess that's just simply not how the world works. Everything takes a bit of time and a bit of effort from us. So I think partly I'd say that it doesn't necessarily require reading or reading huge amounts of books, but it does require engaging and being trained up, whether you prefer to do that through reading some books or listening to YouTube videos, podcasts. Maybe you want to sign up for the RZIM newsletter and get our resources. 
um, I'll do a shameless plug and say, you know, we run training weekends three times a year. The next one is 7th to 9th of April. You can come and learn from all of the teams speaking in their areas of expertise. There's loads of time for Q&A and discussion. So, in other words, I do think it requires a bit of investment that doesn't necessarily have to be reading lots of books and be through all sorts of different types of learning experience. But having said that, my experience is that this hasn't been a heavy burden. It's actually quite exceptional to get a question that's uh, or a questioner that's you know really drilling down into one question, wanting you to be like a world expert in an offshoot field. Most of the time, we're getting the big picture, hard questions of people who are looking at our messed up world and have legitimate, very important questions about suffering or what about truth? What about other religions? There's so many different competing claims. How do I know what is true? How can I engage? How can I know God? Why is God not more obvious? These are questions that are so legitimate. And it's, I guess, part of what it means to love the world, to love the lost, to be willing to take a little bit of time to really listen to that question and to answer heart to heart and also do a bit of homework where that's required. I guess another thing that I'd say is that I've often been in a context where someone picks up a question, a theme that I'm not familiar with, or they want it in such a level of detail that I haven't read on. And it's totally fine to say, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question, but now that you've raised it, I'll go away and do a little bit of reading, a little bit of thinking, and I'd love to get back to you. Hmm. And it just gives the questioner the the communication that you care about them, that you care about their questions, and that you're willing to invest a bit of time to actually answer the questions that they're asking. No, that's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, and a challenge to maybe church leaders to, you know, to take take seriously these kind of things if they if they feel a little bit out of their depth. Um, I mean, Becky Manley Pippa, famously in her book uh, Out of the Salt Shaker, said that evangelism isn't something you would do to your dog, let alone your best friend. And um, <laughs> I mean, I sense a reluctance on the part of many many to evangelize uh, partly for you know as, as Be- Becky says some th- there's lots of images around of, of evangelism done badly and they don't want to be that embarrassing kind of person <laughs> who loses friend so I mean in your mind and heart in, in terms of how you view the, the role of evangelism what are the kind of images that you have that are healthy images that can help maybe listeners who find evangelism very very awkward you know what I, I find in the church is that when we're trying to do evangelism, I guess maybe that's the problem, we're trying to do evangelism in the sense that I often witness Christians who, because they suddenly feel awkward or embarrassed and you know it's, it's the moment where they need to speak up about their faith, they kind of put on this evangelist persona and it's, it's basically nothing like who they normally are. They just, they become socially awkward. Yes, <laughs> they, yes indeed. They, yeah. um, they just, yeah, it's almost like they put on the superhero persona of an evangelist as they imagine it to be, and they become much more forceful, much more direct. They become much more awkward, much more weird than they would any, at any other time be in normal conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe it's not even the need for great models out there, but just for an invitation for Christians to be themselves and to relax into evangelism. It's not the putting on of some other person's persona. It's just the extension of normal social skills. There's some very interesting research that's been done recently 
in the last few years, I think, called Talking Jesus. You can look it up on um, on the web. And it says, I can't remember the exact statistic, but something like over 80% of non-Christians in the UK would love to have a Christian speak to them about Jesus. Isn't that an incredible statistic? It is amazing, isn't it? Of non-Christians, mm. they would love to have a Christian talk to them about Jesus. But unfortunately, there is a slightly more kind of sobering statistic, which is that something like 60% said that on having such a conversation, they didn't want to have another one. Right, yes. I think what that tells me is that there's a real hunger for God. We can just take that for granted. We can relax into it. We don't need to... It's it's a lie that we're like telesales executives phoning people just as they're about to sit down for dinner and selling them something that they don't want and don't need. That's a lie. People are thirsty for God. People are thirsty for the gospel. They want to have the conversation. We can afford to relax into that conversation and just listen, listen to people, listen to their questions and show the love of individual people by being willing to take their questions seriously. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. We're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Tanya Walker, seasonal apologist for Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries. We'll be back just after this. And welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Tanya Walker. She's an apologist for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, RZIM. Uh, we were talking before the break a little bit about uh, sharing our faith, the need to relax, to be ourselves, uh, and the importance really of, of thinking through issues, um, and you know, particularly the ones that people ask of us, and uh, being, um, if necessary, prepared to do a bit of homework and get back to them. Um, now, some of those uh, listening lead in a in a, in a non-believing world, should we say? Obviously, um, there'd be church leaders, charity leaders, but also many who who lead in a in a business or commercial environment or local government or whatever. Um, and there's often total apathy about faith issues. Um, Os Guinness has written about the, the value of going on the offensive in his book, Fool's Talk. I just wonder if you have any questions you use in talks or conversations that can help kind of get the conversational ball rolling in, in kind of spiritual things. Sure. I don't, I don't have um, kind of a set question in my mind or in my heart mm. that I kind of come mm. back to with people. But what I would say is that I have generally found the kind of the pressure to have a God conversation, mm-hmm. um, I found that it sometimes shuts Christians down and they, they just kind of, they, their mind goes blank. They don't know what to do with that necessarily. Yeah. But everyone knows how to have deep conversations or if they don't, maybe that's a skill to really work on. And I'd say that becoming a person who has deep conversations with people will mean that you find that you're also someone who ends up having God conversations. That's really we helpful. live in a culture yeah. where people just don't talk deeply to one another anymore. Mm. Mm. In whether we're in social context with friends that we know, whether we're going out with friends that we know, or even people we've never met before, we tend to, for whatever reason, shun any form of vulnerability or real integrity and keep it very light and very simple. And um, some of my friends joke with me that I'm their deep friend. And what that <laughs> right, means yeah. is simply that I talk deeply. If, if the, obviously not weirdly, not every conversation is an intense, deep conversation, but that offer is there. And um, I think maybe if you're someone who wants to have more God conversations, really some of the things that I have in my mind is not just to pretend to be interested in people, but to be genuinely interested in people. 
to cultivate the art of talking to people deeply. In other words, if you're in social context or you know even in public transport or places I don't hide I try not to hide behind my phone I try not to look busy and to look away from people I try to have eye contact and to just ask some open-ended conversation questions that might open the opportunity to talk more deeply about something and then at the back of my mind I'm thinking if there's an opportunity to share about my story my story with God I'm going to go for it. If there's an opportunity that to share something of the gospel, I'm going to go for it. But my focus is deep and genuine and real engagement. And then, yes, and here's something of a God moment in that when it comes. No, that's enormously helpful, Tanya. Thank you. I, I, I like that very much. Um, okay, ch- ch- changing tax slightly. I mean, th- some people listening are thinking, yeah, but you know, there's the rise of new new atheists. So a lot of people are very, you know, much more aggressive against the faith than maybe they used to be maybe a few decades back. Um, and, you know, Christianity's in the dock in many people's minds and stuff, you know, about the Old Testament maybe and s- supposed genocide there and, uh, you know, the likes of Dawkins who've raised some of these issues and to try and um, counter Christ- Christianity. Um, but uh, but that, that said, of course, it's, it's raised an interest in, in this kind of, uh, area have you have you found that certainly chatting to folk that the new atheists have been a blessing rather than a curse <laughs> yes i wonder if when we look back across history whether the rise of new atheism was actually one of the gifts of god to the church <laughs> i'm reminded of the now slightly infamous bus campaign that was yes, um yes. spearheaded by the british humanist association with you know some very prominent new atheists mm. giving huge sums of money uh listeners some of them will remember something like 800 buses went around the uk with advertising on them saying there's probably no god now stop worrying and enjoy your life and (laughs) of course the irony (laughs) was that many thousands of people seeing the adverts began to go to church because the reality is we do all worry there's so much that's happening in our world and in our own lives I'm reminded of the comedian who once famously said, if you're not worried yet, you're not paying enough attention. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I do think that new atheism, obviously, it's raised challenges for the Christian faith. It means that Christians need to get clued up on some of the answers that exist in the gospel. It's not that we need to make up these answers. The answers are there, but we need to engage more thoughtfully and clearly. But I do think that, on the whole, this has been a wonderful opportunity to speak more clearly about the love of God, to speak more articulately about the profundity of the gospel that exists within the gospel, and to present something of the the answers that clearly people are searching for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tanya, you're you're involved in um, in Oxford with uh, seeking to raise up a generation of people equipped to face. The issues of today. Um, you have advice for, for leaders listening who are seeking to do that kind of thing? Um, yeah, obviously each context is so different, but I I live with this kind of threefold big picture vision of what I hope we are being part of raising up in our own midst. And it's really a, a vision that has three parts. The first is um, to instill in a generation being raised up right now something of the truth that God himself is the greatest adventurer, that God himself is the greatest adventurer. And what I mean by that is a a depth of devotional walk, of intimacy with God, of love for God, of an experience of the love of God. 
Christianity is unique in presenting the person of God himself as the culmination of our search for meaning. We're not going to God as a means to an end. God isn't a means to happiness, a means to fulfillment, a means to significance. God himself is the end. The relationship with God that the gospel offers is the end. This this whole story is leading to a marriage, a wedding feast. So I think for me that is the greatest... Um, we're, we're living in this extremely challenging culture, extremely challenging times. The greatest, most foundational truth that I'm trying to instill is God himself is the greatest adventure. Secondly, the understanding of the adventure of God. And what I mean by that is I think many of us are living with um, a flat-packed gospel, if you will, a reduced gospel. We've reduced the gospel and dismembered it into something that's private, spiritual, um, personal. And actually, Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom it's so much bigger even than individual salvations. There's kingdom building, culture making. It matters what you do in the workplace. It's the whole, every, every part of the pie is Jesus's. And there's something of that great adventure of every part of this creation can be redeemed and restored. God wants to work in all of it and use the church to steward it and have authority over it in an appropriate way. And so God himself, the greatest adventure, and something of the adventure of God in the gospel of the kingdom. And thirdly, I I long for myself to live in and then to pass on to a generation the experience, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the power of God. We desperately need that the breakthrough of the presence of the Holy Spirit to propel life. We can't change the world. We can't change hearts. But hey, the Holy Spirit can. And... So those are the three things that I focus on as I'm involved in raising leaders and raising a generation of evangelists is God himself is the prize. Then there's this great big adventure that we're part of. And finally, we desperately are dependent on and need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if that's helpful, I, I hope that others would um, join that kind of thinking as well. That's wonderful, wonderful, Tanya. Um, um, time's almost defeated us, but um, I mean... If, if a church leader is listening, the kind of things that they might put in place, um, you know, in, within the church context uh, that, that would maybe, is it is it training in apologetics? Is it creating conversation context? Is it reading groups? What, what would be your advice? You know what? There's so many different ways of encouraging evangelism. Firstly, it's just about casting vision for it. The church is meant to exist for the non-Christians around us, to, to reach out to them, to love them, to demonstrate something of the love of God and reaching the lost, pursuing them, wooing them, being genuinely interested in them. So partly it's just casting vision. Let's, let's fulfill the Great Commission. Let's be part of the great adventure of God in this. Um, but partly it's fine to ask for help. The RZIM team here in the UK, for example, exists in part to serve the church in its evangelistic endeavors. You're very welcome as church leaders to invite us to come into your church as a team and to come and help train your church in evangelism and how to be more fruitful in conversational apologetics. Or I already mentioned in April we're running the next training weekend where individuals can come to us and we train them here in Oxford for a weekend. Or 
25th of March, we're doing a training day in London. So there's loads of events that you can plug into or get evangelists that you know and respect come to you and say, hey, here's modeling what it looks like. And then, hey, how can I help you do this in your local context as well? Well, Tanya, that's, that sounds terrific. And uh, uh, people can go to the RZM uh, website, find out more details about this. Um, yes, you remind me of the, the details of the website again. So it's www.rzim.eu. .eu, okay, as opposed to anything yeah. else. Okay, .eu, wonderful. Yeah. Tanya, it, sadly time's gone. We could um, we could spend hours talking about these things. You're fascinating to listen to. So thank you so much for the, uh, just for me, a very articulate but also slightly different uh, approach to things, just get, get my mindset. And I'm talking about deep conversations and uh that's um you know that's that's taken my mind down a, a good pathway in terms of seeking to share the gospel with others so thank you so much you're welcome thanks for having me so we were listening to the leadership file with me andy pack tanya walker was my guest an apologist with the ravi zacharias international ministries uh, known as rzim rzim and um, she's a senior tutor at the oxford center for christian apologetics which uh rzim run uh, obviously based there in oxford so do avail yourselves of her um, information uh, go to the website uh, do go to premier's website and find archived recordings of the leadership file including this one in due course uh, go to itunes and you can subscribe and download this on a regular basis so that all your even if you miss the, uh, miss the radio you can uh, listen subsequently on your listening device so I look forward to your company again next sunday at 3 30 thanks for tuning in You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.